Hey, welcome to the Wildcast. I just finished a really important interview with my good friend, Rudy Rockman, who is on the lines. He is a reservist in the Israeli army who was called up after this terrible attack on Israel. And I was able to grab about 20, 30, uh, yeah, about 30 minutes with Rudy to discuss the situation on the ground. <clears throat> what is the IDF planning? What is happening? What's it been like since he got called up? and also to discuss the Palestinian-Israeli situation from a Jewish Torah perspective. What is our goal with this war? Is it simply to survive? Is there something deeper that can come out of this war? Rudy and I discussed at length what is supposed to ideally happen for the Jewish people, not only to restore peace and serenity to the Jewish people, and of course, safety and security, that's first and foremost, but what other positive good things could come out of this, not only for Jews living in Israel, but for diaspora jury, because in the diaspora, we are seeing incredibly disgusting and terrible pro-Hamas rallies all over New York. We're seeing a crazy kind of support for Hamas on our college campus. Rudy and I first met at Columbia, where he was a student at the time, where I used to be a student, and we discussed what should be done. What do students, Jewish students on college campus, what should they be doing? How should we be empowering our Jewish day school students in high school? So that when they get to college campus, they can deal with the situation properly. And what should the Jewish people be learning from the situation? How can we somehow grow, become stronger and better? Again, not simply survive, but as he said, and you'll hear, thrive. Take a listen and please subscribe and follow. Rudy, Rudy Rockman, what an honor to have you. It's so great to speak and to be connected with you at this time. Um, first of all, just before we start our conversation, how are you? Baruch Hashem, we're staying strong. Uh, we've been through a very tough uh, two weeks, I think, that all the Jewish people have. Um, but we're staying strong. We're going to move forward. We're going to unite, and we're going to be able to fulfill our purpose in this world so that we don't get attacked anymore. Yeah. Are you feeling like a sense of, like, up? Like, what's the morale? You're on the front lines now as a reservist. What, what's what's the, the feeling amongst the other soldiers that you're with? I think the morale for the entirety of the Jewish people is deep pain for what has happened and what is still happening. I mean, there's still 200 uh, victims, kidnapped individuals that are stuck in Gaza and who knows what's happening to them. And I think uh, I can very much so relate to that, having been in that similar situation two years ago, kidnapped yeah, and, and uh, put into a cage and gone through all sorts of stuff and not knowing when I would get out. So I, I, I understand what they're going through and I only hope we can get them out soon. But I would say that the the way Amisal sees it is we're stronger together. Um, we are not afraid. We are not going to hesitate to do what we need to do. Uh, we're going to overcome whatever this is. But we all have this feeling that we need to be done with it already. Because every few years, there's a scrimmage with Hamas. There's Israelis who die. There are Palestinians who die. Nobody wants to see anybody dying on either side. So we want to be able to go in, take Hamas out, save the Israelis, that are kidnapped there and free the Palestinians from Hamas. So there's this desire of like, just let us let us do this already. Not let us go to war, let us end the problem. Let us end this war. So that, that I would say is what the feeling is here on the ground. That's amazing. And do you think it, this is gonna be a, unfortunately a rinse and repeat from previous incursions where there's so much pressure mounted? Right now, the United States is standing firmly behind Israel but is that if that changes and America starts pressuring Israel, it's enough. There are too many civilian casualties. You know, you've had a week there, you've had two weeks there, you've had a month there, and the Israeli government says, "Well, we haven't finished the job." How do you see that going down? 
I mean, in, on all, in all honesty, I think that America wants there to be conflict in the Middle East. It sells weapons to both sides of the conflict, and that's how it maintains their control in all regions. It creates these mini conflicts. It supports those conflicts to happen. It country in the region, and it makes that country completely dependent on U.S. weapons. So I don't want to hear anything from America, and I don't want America to tell us when we can go in or when we cannot go in. I think we need to make our decisions based on what's best for Amisled, based on what's best for the world, and based on what we decide to do. That's what I want Israel to be. We can have allies, we can have friends, we can have relationships, but I don't want any toxic relationships of countries telling us when or when we can't do what we need to do to protect our people. So if it's going to be a repeat, I hope not. I don't think uh, mm. anyone is, is, is prepared to accept anything less than Hamas being gone and for good. And I hope that this is what the government of Israel that we currently have will fulfill. So I, I don't know what will happen, but this is what everyone here wants. Yeah, well, we are praying. I wrote a blog when this first happened that right now everybody's strong. Everyone realizes the barbarism and the atrocities that Hamas has committed. Everyone's going to stand behind Israel. But, you know, in a couple of weeks when the civilian, casual, you know, Palestinian casualties start, you know, increasing, it's going to be a huge amount of pressure. So the question is, you know, I, I, you know, you need to be a prophet to answer this. This may be an unfair question, but like, you know, will Israel just continue to hammer away and do what it needs to do, you know, irrespective of what her friends or foes have to say? Um, I'm just hoping that that's all I'm looking for is a little encouragement on that because I've I seen this before. Yeah. Yeah, but I think this massacre we haven't seen. So, you know, right. unfortunately it did happen. Um, and I saw it firsthand, the horrors of what happened there. And I don't think we can, you know, turn a blind eye this time or ignore or be pressured by another country to just let this slide. Um, we also have 200 civilians still there. So I doubt that this will be the same thing as it's been in the past. Um, but I don't know. I'm not a prophet. Yeah. And uh, I only hope that we'll be able to overcome and tell me, I, I've heard a number of your interviews, you know, and there's been a lot of distinguishing between Hamas and the Palestinian civilians. How responsible or blameless do you hold the Palestinian people living in Gaza? So the Palestinian people living in Gaza are only responsible for electing Hamas at a time that Israel was saying that Hamas was going to be an amazing partner in the Middle East. Hamas originally, when it was first running, uh, to be elected and going against the PLO uh, and, and saying we were going to be better was promising a very bright, progressive future. Um, like I said, officially, Israel's position was that Hamas was going to be a true partner for the Palestinians. So that's what they elected. But unfortunately, that's not what it was. And since then, there hasn't been a new election. Since then, Hamas has been indoctrinating a younger generation and teaching them that every reason why they suffer is because of Jews, is because Israel exists. And so you kind of have to feel bad for the context of the situation and realize the reason why someone is raised with so much shape is because their pain is contextualized by finding to them that the source of their pain is Israel. And if they truly believe that, they would want to lash back out or to fight Israel so much because they truly believe we're the source of the problem. We're, we know we're not, so it's easier for us to understand that because we have a, a greater view, but they don't. Mm -hmm. And Hamas has been completely terrorizing the Palestinian people. Anyone who criticizes Hamas, you would probably find them dragged on the streets the next day with their body. Um, you know, obviously they create these wars every few years in order for casualties to increase on both sides and casualties to increase on the Palestinian side in order to sell uh, the victimization of Palestinians to the world in order for them to get more foreign aid. And all that foreign aid either goes to their pockets, which is why they're all billionaires, the people on the top, or goes to reinvest in this business scheme that they have into buying more weapons and starting this again. 
So this is not a war between Israelis and Palestinians. This is not a war between Jews and Muslims or Jews and Arabs. This is a war between Hamas and Israel. And so you, you can link so, Iran and, and mm-hmm. Hezbollah into that as well. Right. And so you don't you don't see the typical Palestinian living in Gaza as being a Hamas lover or supporter, even though they are cheering. They have been cheering with these attacks, many of them. I, I don't know the numbers, obviously. So I'm not saying that there aren't Palestinians who support Hamas. Of course, when you're indoctrinated to to hate, right, right. Uh, you're going to come to the conclusion. As someone who understands that, or as people that understand that as our collective, to have the ability to have access to free information and to be open-minded, we have to understand how they got to that issue. That's the symptom, right, the source right. of the mystification. But that being said, there are many people who don't like Hamas living in Gaza. They take a lot of polls in Gaza and they take a lot of these polls in Judea and Samaria about you know the position of Palestinians towards Israel, the position of Palestinians towards the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. And it's usually polls that will say, oh, look, most Palestinians are against Israel because you definitely won't find anyone saying that they're for Israel. You definitely won't find anyone criticizing the government because there is a consequence. There's no freedom of speech there. And I think that's a lot of what many Jews, when they look at videos or content or speakers of Palestinians, they tend to assume that everyone has the same opinion and definitely on the ground they don't. I would Mm -hmm. say that those that are most vehemently against Israel and supporting Hamas is usually the Palestinians in diaspora that are the the loud activists. But mm-hmm. I think that there is a silent majority amongst the population that uh, aren't supporting of what Hamas is doing at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and tell me, listen, you're, you're, you're a reservist. That's why you were called up. That's why you're on the front lines. I'm not going to ask you exactly where you are. I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to say jinx, but, you know, give away any kind of situation. Tell us, what does it mean? And how many reservists have been called up? What What are you, what are you waiting for over there right now? I think the number is around 350,000 reservists that have been called Mm -hmm. up. And so Mm -hmm. the way reservists works is um, you do your civil service or you do your military service at the age of 18 in Israel. Some people do working with ambulances, helping children or doing a military service. Now, of Mm -hmm. that military, of the IDF, only 10% of the IDF are combat soldiers. And the combat soldiers have to do Midwim reserves until age 40 unless they live out of the country or unless there is... You know, they were physically injured or are no longer capable for whatever reason. And so I've gone out of the army 10 years ago and I'm still in reserves, which means every year, a few times a year, we go back for training to make sure that we can still fight as a unit, to make sure that we're mm-hmm. fit, to make sure mm-hmm. we can still do what we need to do to protect the country, ready for a day like this. And so that's what happened on October 7th. We got that call, got jumped to the base. An hour later, once we got to the base, thrown into Hummers, driven down to the south on the border of Gaza in the village called Kfal Aza, which was one of the hardest hit communities, if not the hardest hit communities. And, uh, you know, of course, you've seen the videos and it's 100 times worse uh, when you see it in person and what we actually saw over there. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Um, I think you and I met right after you had finished your service because... I think we met when you were at Columbia. You were coming from the West Coast and you enrolled. You were a college student at Columbia University. So look, you're, as far as I'm concerned, Rudy, you you have all of our prayers and our love because you're on the front line. There's another war being waged. And it's interesting because you, you have been waging this other war. You've been talking about, you know, trying to find ways of talking to our Palestinian cousins in, in, a, um, in a respectful kind of way. You've seen what's going on on college campus now. You know, my son, who's a musician, went to play 
at NYU last night, and he did it together with Columbia, and that was my alma mater as well. How can we empower Jewish students on college campus to deal with the situation? People are afraid, and you know the pro-Palestinian rallies have been pretty. Um, uh, I don't even know what the word to use. Um, pretty ugly. And um, any any suggestions you can give to any of our college or graduate students that are going to these schools? First of all, I want to talk about the term uh, that we say at least once a year, which is never again. And, you know, my father's side of the family had survived the Holocaust, but most of their cousins and family members were exterminated. And the term never again to me is not just like these sounds that you make from your mouth one time a year. And it's some sort of magic spell that because you said it, it doesn't happen again. It's a generational commitment to make sure it doesn't happen again. So I think that our generation of the Jewish people, those that are around and especially the next generation need to understand we have a responsibility. Just like you are a father, you have a responsibility towards your children. You need to go above and beyond just doing what's normal and making sure that they have the best life, that they're protected. And we as the Jewish people need to go above and beyond to make sure that our future is bright. It's not about surviving anymore. It's about thriving. And we need to overcome. Now, I think a lot of Jewish education has to change. We learn how to put tefillin, to do Shabbat, to light the candles, which are all extremely important things. But we're sort of learning how to practice Judaism rather than putting Judaism into practice. We were mm -hmm. never taught how to be strong mentally, physically, emotionally, ideologically. We were never taught how to debate, how to do public speaking, how to know all the counter narratives against the Jewish people in Israel from the far right to the far left to the Farrakhan black supremacists to the neo-Nazi David Duke white supremacists to the far capitalist, far communist. We're not ready to engage in those environments. And most Jewish parents and most teachers and most of the educations that we went through tell us, you know, and when you go to a professor and they say something anti-Israel, just say what you got to say, get the good grade, and eventually that's how we survive. Mm -hmm. Well, putting our head down does not work. It has never worked for the Jewish people. And we need to make it clear, either you fight back and you win in the society that you live in, or you leave now. There's no in-between, there's no ignoring, there's no pretending. And although right now the government of America seems like they're supporting Israel and the Jewish community feels safe because most of the politicians are usually quote-unquote pro-Israel, the reality is we cannot just have a top-down approach because those are the current politicians. What about the future politicians? They're coming from the bottom up. The yeah. generational change of those who are in power on the political, on the intellectual, and on the business levels by those who are coming out of college campuses. And if they're being educated that the problem of the world is the Jews in Israel, we're giving our children a horrible future. And none of us want to do that. So it's time to wake up and to take responsibility. We can't point fingers somewhere else. We need to point fingers at ourselves. We need to stand up and we need to do it. And if we were to actually try to do it and unite, we will 100% be able to. Because throughout Jewish history, whenever Am Yisrael is united and fulfilling their purpose, we are able to overcome all the greatest obstacles. There's a cheat code. Just have to unite, and you just have to stand up. That's all we have to mm -hmm. do. Amen. I, I want you to know, Rudy. This is—I've been sharing this for years. I taught in two or three different Jewish day schools. Seventy or eighty percent of Orthodox uh, teenagers, okay, who go to Jewish day schools are going to be on a secular college campus. They don't all go to Yeshiva University, right? They—they they, they end up at Columbia, Harvard, or Yale, or Binghamton, or any of the Sunnis, and we are not training them during their 11th and 12th grades to be able to respond. So when they get and they hear these, you know, like I, I actually just started a course last night, a three-week series on how to respond to some of the 
allegations, the human rights allegations, just to know the basic history of how Israel was created in 48, what happened in 67, how we gave back. I mean, how do you, do you share, what, what do you say to people? This is just what's irking me, you know, with that, that there, there's an occupation, but we delivered the Gaza Strip back in 2005. So the response to that is always, well, you're holding on to electricity, you control the electricity, you control the water, you control the airspace. So they're still living on, under occupation. How would you, just with our audience, so they can have a good response to that? What, what, what do you say in response to that? Well, I think if you have indigenous peoples coming back to their land and having access and owning and control over the land, that's called liberation, not occupation. That's called decolonization, not colonization. So I would not call that occupation. I would say that we liberated the land from the British. Unfortunately, the British had convinced both the Israelis and Palestinians to fight in a war, which we did, and we're still suffering with the consequences of that war, and we need to transcend. But in terms of a, a Jewish population, you know, you, you talk about how we need to be educated. We're not prepared for those conversations. We're not no, given those tools no. how to overcome. And, you know, it falls on us. I mean, I went to Jewish day school into high school. Their students went through 12 years of Jewish day school, 12 years of their parents paying around 50K a year. And they don't speak Hebrew. And yet they had Hebrew classes every single day. You know, they like know some grammar, but they don't know how to right. speak Hebrew. They, no. You know, you should have had Kav Maga. You should have had, you know, understanding how to stand up, how to be strong. Most Jewish kids are afraid. Most Jewish kids put their kippah away or tuck in their Magen David. You know, that, that's what their parents said. And I understand that generations before us were traumatized, but we need to overcome that victimization it's and become new, stronger. Yeah, we're a new generation. And we're and not I think acting we like learn, a new generation. We need to learn from also in the past. You know, 67 years ago, it was normal in society to be against the civil rights movement. As crazy as it sounds to at least my generation, that was born with this is the reality everyone's equal doesn't matter what you look like that to me is like a normal concept especially to millennials and gen z not too long ago black people didn't have equal rights and yet today if you were to say something racist it would be crazy and ostracized in intellectual spaces the same way you have freedom of speech someone can go and say something there would be freedom of reaction to speech and society has been conditioned to turn against that why because black people earned their rights they fought for it they sweat for it they bled for it, they died for it, they sat in jail for it, and they earned it. Same thing with women, same thing with other minority groups. They earned their rights. For the Jewish people, rights will not be granted to us or given to us out of the sky. We need to earn our rights. Yeah. And that's something that the Jewish people need to learn. If we want a better life, it's for us to build it. It's not for us to ask it, and it won't be given to us easily. Well, we should talk offline because um, there is currently little or no education for you know, 11th, 12th graders who are going to be in college or after their gap year, what about spending one hour a week for every yeshiva student? You know how many yeshiva students, all of my boys did this, went to Israel and my daughter's there now. My son, by the way, is going back. Uh, when I get off with you, I'm driving him to the airport. He's going to Israel. He lives in, in Jerusalem. Okay, they were not given any education. They have it from me and I give them books to read because people need to be equipped with knowledge and also, I love the Krav Maga idea. You know, it just, there's a certain mentality of like staying low, putting on the baseball cap when you get on the Long Island Railroad or wherever you're going and keeping quiet. But, you know, I, I don't have to tell you what we're seeing in New York right now. You know, okay. I, I want to talk about that point because I grew up with most of my family living in France. I was born there. I left when I was three. But all of my cousins and grandparents and aunts and uncles were in France. And every time I would visit France during the summer, I always had a Magen David my whole life. And my grandparents would tell me, tuck in your Magen David. You can't yeah. go out in public with yeah. your Magen David. 
And I didn't really have the words then to explain why I refused to do so. I'd always refused to do so. It was morally wrong. I just cannot do that. I, it's, it's just against my nature. But now I understand how dangerous it is to tuck in your Magadavid. Because although as an individual, you might be minimizing the potential risk of an attack because nobody would in that moment be able to tell that you're Jewish unless they ask you what your first and last name is or you know they find out other things about you. But you could kind of slide through in society. So you might be minimizing the potential risk for you as an individual. But when we start to do that, we start to accept as a collective that this is okay, that this is just a reality we have to live with. And when you don't fight back anti-Semitism, it will get worse. And so it's actually much more dangerous as the collective to do that as individuals than it is for the dangers of the individuals if they continue to do that. Yeah. And so the reality is very simple. If you are a Jew living in the diaspora, you stand up, you fight back, and you win. You win the cultural war, you win the respect, you win what you need to do. And if you're not here to win, you leave immediately and you come home to Israel. That's it. There is no other equation. There is no other option. Either you come home because you can't do your job or you stand up and you do your job. You earn your respect. Well, I'm, I I appreciate those words because I'm actually, I think there's a, this is a watershed moment. I think for the first time, New Yorkers, American Jews are starting to see, you know, okay, we still have some support from the leaders on, you know, upper echelons, but the people themselves, where have the celebrities been? I can't even tell you how many people we look up to, we we idolize musicians, actors, actresses who have said nothing, who have said so much about so many other minority groups after they've been attacked. Silence. Now you can get very, you can get very um, cynical about that and just say, let's pick up and go, and maybe a lot of us should. <laughs> but I, I, um, if we don't stand up for ourselves, no one else is. That's the bottom line. So I, I, we don't stand up for ourselves. We, we know what the ultimate consequence will be. That's why I'm saying if you don't do it, then leave. Because if you don't do it, you'll lose this world. So yeah. That's why I'm saying save your life now. Or you can change the society. And if you do want to make your life temporarily in the diaspora for whatever reason, whether it's for business, learning, whatever it is, definitely not mentally in the diaspora. We should always know that we're from Israel, even if we're physically in the diaspora. If yeah. you do want to live in the diaspora, then make sure that you're able to live there. Don't just focus on short-term ways for you to feel comfortable. Make sure to create a long-term reality where you can survive and thrive. And that's something that people need to hear and understand. And I don't think many people have taken that responsibility. But to be honest, we repeat that throughout history. And you brought up the point of like, okay, you know, we want that respect like other other minority groups. And no one would have said that. And the celebrities talk about all these different groups, but they don't talk about Israel and the Jewish people. We have to understand there's no logic that you can be able to comprehend why anti-Semitism works, right? I mean, just to break it down, every single extreme group agrees on one thing and that the Jew is the source of the problem. Why and how they're the problem is different, but that they are the problem is the same. The far right sees the Jews as the left. The far left sees the Jews as the right. The communist sees the Jews as the capitalist. Capitalist sees the Jews as the communist. The white supremacists, black supremacists both hate the Jews. So it's a very unique type of xenophobia that all extremes hate the Jews. Also, you live in New York. I used to live in New York. New York Jews are, what, 13% of the population? You look at the total hate crimes in New York City, over 56% of total hate crimes are targeted against Jews, right? Every single problem that happens in the world is blamed on Jews. The Christian 
feel the loss of the death of Jesus, they blame it on the Jews. The Black Plague, they blame it on the Jews. Economic situation in, in Germany after World War One, blame it on the Jews. Economic situation in Spain after Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand are going bankrupt, blame it on the Jews leading to the Inquisition. COVID, blame it on the Jews. War between Russia and Ukraine, oh, this is the same thing as what's doing to Palestine. Literally every single problem that's happening, give it a day or two, and there's going to be articles somehow blaming the Jewish people. And so the deeper question is why? Why is there always this obsession by all these different nations, especially on their extremes, which is its rawest expression of a nation? And why are they always coming to the conclusion that the Jew is the source of the problem? Now, us as Jews, as insiders, we know, me and you, Mark, know that we are not the ones who did these problems. We know we didn't kill Jesus. We know we didn't create the Black Plague. We know we don't make matzo with the blood of Christian babies. We know we didn't do the economic situation problems in Spain and in Germany. We know we didn't create COVID. So why is the world experiencing us as the source of the problem? There has to be an explanation. Now, most people try to say, well, it's because they're jealous. Well, if you look at the three ethnic groups that are recent immigrants within America that are the most successful groups, it's Nigerians, Koreans, and Indians. And those groups are not anywhere nearly facing the amount of xenophobia and attacks that we are. Maybe there's some Asian hate, and there is Asian hate, but it's not 56% of total hate crimes when you're 13% of the population. Right. It's not 6 million people being killed in every land you're living, you're being persecuted at some point in some generation. So it's not comparable. Well, other people say, well, it's because we other ourselves and we have our own schools and our own hospitals and our own cemeteries. Yeah. Well, I mean, Muslims do that too. Armenians course, do that too. The Amish do that too. There's no Amish uh, xenophobia. Okay, that doesn't happen. Um, and then you know, some people say, "Well, we have a dual loyalty." I mean, go to Miami. Everyone's identifying as Argentinian, Venezuelan, Colombian, Haitian, Jamaican, Dominican, and Cuban, and no one's rejecting them because during the Olympics they're supporting another country. So all, right. all these things are excuses to really try to understand where this problem is coming from. And I started asking myself a question. You know, as Jews, we, we, we need to ask questions. It's the, the key to finding the right answers. And I was like, okay, I know it's not what we've done. As an insider to the Jewish people, I know it's not what we've done. So maybe it's not what we did. Maybe it's what we didn't do. And then that question that follows up with what didn't we do is, well, what were we supposed to do that we didn't do? And for as a collective, we know we learn a lot in Jewish communities what you need to do as a Jew, as an individual. The midot, the mitzvot, you know, being a good person, this and that, very important. But we don't learn a lot about what we need to do as a collective. In the Torah, we have a mission. We have a mission statement. It's something that we chose. When we say we're the chosen people, it's not we chose. It's it, it's not, sorry. When we say that we're the chosen people, it's not Hashem that chose us. It's we that chose Hashem. It's yeah. we that chose the Torah. It's we that chose the role of doing what? To do tikkun olam and olagwim. To heal the world and to empower the other nations. Olagwim means to bring a light. For there to be a light, you have to have darkness. So whenever there are people who are unable to see, unable to function, achieve their greatness and their potential, because Hashem created all nations, and all nations have something to give into this world, just like an ecosystem. If you're missing the wolves, then the bison overgraze the grass, and then the... Yeah, we're necessary for the very functioning and the purpose of existence, exactly. of course. So, so I, I would say that the role of the Jewish people, if we're going to give an analogy of, let's say the world is a body, and every nation has its own function. The function of Amisal is to do something within the body that heals the body and empowers the other nations, which in my opinion, the only function in the human body that does that is the immune system. The Jewish people chose to be the world's immune system. Just like a doctor chooses to go to medical school and to be a surgeon and to be able to save life, and that choice gives them an ability and thus a responsibility, we chose to be the world's immune system. Now, what happens 
when the immune system doesn't work within a body. When the immune system doesn't work, the body becomes sick. It is not the immune system that created that sickness. It is the immune system's responsibility to prevent that sickness from happening. And we are not doing that. And so, in my opinion, the reason why all these different extremes from all the different societies and ideologies that are coming to the conclusion that the Jews are the source of the problem is not because we're the source of the problem, but because deep down in their neshama, they feel that we should be the source of the resolution and the source of the answer to their problems that exist. And because yeah. we haven't yet done that. They're, you're saying they're disappointed in us. They know deep down, even if they. I, I would say are... they're, they're, they're responding. It's, it's a deep down, like, like subconscious, not conscious reaction right, right. to the Jewish people failing their purpose. Well, why, why else do, 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 you know, if somebody with a kippah, you know, does something unethical, it's considered so much worse because they, they are expecting a higher standard. My rabbi, blessed member of a Grimblot used to say that there is a double standard because we hold ourselves out to be the moral compass of the world. And if we're not doing that, if we're not leading and if we're not inspiring other people to be the best that they are, then, you know, I, I've never seen that. And it's interesting that you're sharing that as a cause. You know, it, it, you know, there's no justification for anti-Semitism, but you're saying that it's somehow a root cause that people people sense that we have a higher purpose and a higher mission. And we're not living up to that. They, they know deep down. They know we are supposed to be the ones that bring Mashiach, which is a reality where we bring Shamaim to the Aletz, where we bring spirituality, where we unite this world, where we heal the world from pollution, from hatred, from jealousy, from idolatry, from all these different problems. And if we don't do our jobs and don't use Israel as a vehicle to achieve that, then there are clearly problems that exist, not because we cause them, but when the immune system doesn't work, the body becomes sick because there yeah. are sicknesses out there. And then all the sicknesses that these different organs are experiencing they're blaming the immune system. You know, a quick analogy I can give you that it's very easy to understand is if you have a flight from New York that's going all the way to Israel, right? And on that flight, there's they're at a point above the Atlantic where there's nowhere to stop for the next two hours. And someone is having a heart attack in economy class. And the flight attendant sees this and is freaking out. What am I going to do? How am I going to be able to save this guy's life? And she realizes, wow, miracle. There's the head cardiologist in first class named Dr. Cohen just so happened to be on this flight, he's going to be able to save life. And she rushes over to first class to Dr. Cohen and says, Dr. Cohen, there's a guy in economy class having a heart attack. You're the only person who can save him. And Dr. Cohen is like, wow, miracle. I was supposed to put my tools that I need to save a person's life in my luggage. It just so happened to be overweight. So I took them with me. And Dr. Cohen takes his tools, goes back to economy class, opens his tools, has everything out, can save this guy's life. Doesn't do it. And then does nothing. And the guy dies. Now, the moral question is, did Dr. Cohen kill this person? Uh, no, he didn't physically kill it. Right. However, how will everyone experience that? All the witnesses, all they can think about is that Dr. Cohen is a horrible person. Because he had the tools, he had the ability. Because, and because he chose to be able to have those tools. Right. He went to medical school for years to have that ability. And when you have the ability, other well, if, if, if Listen, I, I know you have to go in a minute. If we can just get more of our brothers and sisters in the diaspora, in, in Israel, everywhere, to see ourselves that way, to see ourselves as the immune system for the world, and that the Torah is a healing agent that we were entrusted with to spread and to inspire and enlighten the world. I mean, that's a very beautiful, uplifting message. If we could take that from this situation and not simply get through this war, but come out stronger because now we realize our purpose and our mission, that would be so, so incredible. I know you have to go. I want to I don't want to just leave you with just asking you for information. And, and I, I want to leave you with a bracha. Uh, Rudy, uh, incredibly proud of you and every Jew that's standing on 
the borders of Israel, defending our people. And I say our people, you're not just defending Israel. You know this. You're defending the Jewish people worldwide. If it's okay with your permission, I'd just like to recite of Mishabech for Chayle Tzahal, for the IDF. Um, our thoughts and our hearts and our love are with you. Mishabech Avotenu Avram Yitzchak V'Yakov. V'yivarechet Chayle Tzva Hagana L'Yisrael. Amdim al Mishmar Etzein Avare Eloheinu. Mikvul HaLevanon V'ad Midbar Mitzrayim. Amin Hayam HaGadol Ad Levo HaRava Bayabasha which means on the land, ba'avir in the air, u'bayam, and upon the sea. Yiten Adonai et oiveinu akamim aleinu nigafim lefnehem, ha'kadosh baruch hu yishmor v'yatzil et chayaleinu, may God protect and guard our fighting men, mikol tzorav et from all difficulty and distress, mikol negel machala, v'yishlach brachan, send blessing v'hatzlachan, success b'chol ma'asei yedehem in all your endeavors, yad bersoneinu tachtem v'yatrem b'chetu yishua v'atern itzachon, you should have just success and um, strength. You should continue sharing your incredibly important messages of love and unity and strength and Jewish pride uh, with everyone. Keep speaking from the front lines. This is incredibly powerful for us on the sidelines to be able to see what you're doing for Klal Yisrael and for us to be able to do our part. And thank you for the direction. And um, we need to start educating our young men and women how to defend and how to not simply defend, but to be the Jews that we were tasked. And as you said so beautifully, chosen, that we chose ourselves to be. Should be good things. Um, we hope you hear Besorah Tovot. Should be good, uh, good news. Rudy, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are, and I appreciate you taking the time. Of course, always.